Good morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word this morning, that through it you would be glorified. And I pray, Lord, that you would take all the distractions away from us. In Jesus' name, amen. In my early teenagers, growing up in Middle East, the summers were extremely hot, over 100 degrees and times over 110. And we didn't have air conditioning, but our homes had flat roofs. So we would pitch our beds on top of the roofs and have a very good night's sleep. Late afternoons is when the temperatures started dropping, and by 8 o'clock at night, the cool breeze from the desert started to sweep in. So you needed heavy blanket, actually, to cover with. But that was not my reason or my real motive to go to bed by 8. My real motive was to enjoy the sky, the space, the heavens, if you will. Because of the location of the country, everything was zoomed in. I wish you could picture that. Maybe if you were in Alaska, you could. Every night, there would be hundreds, thousands, millions of glowing stars and the moon to look at. I would wonder why the stars in the Big Dipper didn't close in to look like the Little Dipper. Why the planets shine brighter than the stars? Why the moons always had the same face and it did not change? Does the moon rotate on its axis? Does it have a backside? What about those shooting stars? Where do they disappear to? I wondered how they became into being. Did someone put them there? This went on night after night, and I enjoyed it. We will come back to the young man shortly. As we have been going through the Psalms, one thing has been repeated time and again, that the Psalms contain and point to many references to a greater David to come. We heard Pastor Nate Prater explaining how David was not the perfect, perfect and the sinless deliverer that Psalm 17 talked about. Pastor Phil preached how Psalm 18 was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So does Psalm 19. It continues showing of greater David to be expected. From AD perspective, we look at the psalm as an indirect witness to the need for a greater servant than David. Verse 9, 10, uh, I'm sorry, verses 7, 9, 11, 13, and 14, they point to who could keep the law, who could be blameless, and who would be pleasing God. The revelation of God in nature and in the law is truly revelation of God the Father. 
However, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ shows more clearly the divine perfections in verses 7 through 9. We hear more clearly the voice of our Father by listening carefully to what Jesus said and to how he inter interpreted God's law. The issue in this psalm is not law versus grace or law versus Jesus, but the greater revelation of God in Jesus and consequently the greater freedom and maturity of God's children. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 testifies to that, so does Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Leslie Allen, a theologian, explains that Psalm 19 shows that David becomes the type of a spiritual struggle for every believer. Our text this morning comes from Psalm 19. This psalm is one of the most preached on psalms. It is deep in theology. Many books and commentaries are written about it. The best commentary for the 14 verses you will find in Psalm 119 with its 176 verses. Let's read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out a speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. I have a question, and I hope 
you would participate with a response. Don't go quiet on me. <laughs> okay, so how many types or ways of communication are there? Anyone? Two. I heard two. Anyone else? Okay, so there are three types of communication. So let me ask you, what are they? Any one of them. What was it? The speech is one. That's verbal communication. That's good. And what is it? Writing. Writing. Okay. What is it? Words? Oh, the works. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. That is good. We will put the works under what? The body language? That is good. Uh, our counselors will say halo data outside your, you know. Uh, do you understand what that is? Well, if I say body language, you will know, right? Like I go like this, or I'll give you this, or I'm praising, right? Okay, that's good. Okay, but the clearest of these communications is the written communication. It's very clear. You cannot turn around and say, well, that's not what I said, or that's not what I meant, or whatever. The written communication is the clearest. We find these three types of communication in the psalm. All three of them are actually in the psalm. So the big idea of this sermon is God's speech brings life and joy to those who seek him. And the three speeches of the psalms are, are in this, in this uh, verses. Creation's speech is verses 1 through 6. God's speech, 7 to 11. Man's speech, verses 12 to 14. Let's start with creation's speech. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Heavens are plural for their variety. It comprises of the watery heavens with their clouds, the aerial heavens, the solar heavens with their glories, and so on. The heavens don't speak with whisper. Notice, they are loud and they have made declaration. Synonym, syn synonym to declaration is to announce, to praise, to boast as to who they are for. And they speak for all God's works in creating them. They are for their creator God and are loud. These verses remind us of what we see every day. The creation does what God has commanded it to do, and that is to be witnesses. Every time the sun rises and sets, every time you look at the stars, every time you hear thunder and see lightning and rain, God is communicating to you. He means for you to see it and hear it. 
For me, I love the heavy rain coupled with few lightning and big thunder, like kaboom when that goes up. Where because of the heavy rain, I would barely see the trees in my backyard. That's when I lift my praises to God saying, praise you Lord for watering the earth, filling the rivers and the lakes. On the other hand, Erica waits till the rain is over and runs to the window and outside doors trying to see if there is any rainbow. Two weeks ago, she saw double rainbow. You will find her in the driveway praising God for his mercy and faithfulness. Verse two, day to day they pour out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Clearly says that this speech is constant, nonstop, as it pours out. A better translation would be it gushes out, it spews out. This is like nonstop monsoon there is no breaks. We can ask ourselves, do I proclaim God with this kind of excitement? Is there anything I should learn from the heavens? In this verse, knowledge is well matched with the night. Since without the night skies, man would have known only empty skies. Verse 3, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Uh, wait a minute. We were saying a few minutes ago they were loud and how loud they were. And now the verse says there is no speech. David had to use paradox to help us, to help make his point, to help us understand it. The heavens are speaking without words through the sky and it is about God day and night, and everywhere in the world. The natural man, like our teenager in Middle East, is born spiritually blind. The best they can see is the marvel of things and wonder how they came into being. The one who is a child of God, the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes and their ears so that they are able to hear and see hopefully join in praising and glorifying God. And this is the state of David. This is why he can sing the opening verse of chapter 11, I love you, O Lord. Brothers and sisters, when you look up, God's creation is directly communicating to your soul without using any words. Do you see or hear them? Do you testify that God created you? Do you proclaim him for saving you? Are you so busy that you don't even look up? Verse four, in some translation, will say their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their word to the end of the world. Measuring line has many meaning and is translated correctly in the copy that we have in the English uh, translation, voice or cry. So here we go again. First they proclaim and make speech and then there is no speech 
and now we are back saying their voice are heard. Are there words or are there not? Well, there aren't words, but there are. Their voices go out to the end of the world. John Piper will say it, wordless words and speechless speech. Their voices are heard in all the earth. There is no geographical boundaries, no cultural barriers, and no language barriers. They are preaching and proclaiming God's glory. They are preachers and missionaries at large, testifying about the great creator. God's words of revelation have put God on display so that all can see. Christians do not worship the creation nor nature. They worship the creator who created them. Notice two very different places their cry goes out. Notice it. To earth and to the end of the world, heavens. This is a very important point for the next two verses as David talks about the sun. And when we look at them with two different views, we'll find this. In verse 4, end of verse 4, it says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun is the life-giving power of works of God. The sun is the focal point of our physical existence, and it is the centerpiece from our viewpoint. God takes the macro, the largest, to make his point so that we don't miss it. All glorify God as he reveals his deity in his creation. Because he has put the sun in the tent of the universe, everyone around the earth sees the heavenly body and benefits from it. The sun rises and there is no hiding on earth from his heat. He blesses by throwing the cold winter ice and reaches to the roots of trees so they can feed without strain and eventually give fruit. The sun also reveals God's glory, power, and wisdom. One does not have to listen for words because the effects of the sun are evident. In all glory and beauty and shining brilliance, the sun comes out of his chamber and as a strong man rejoicing to run a course. The sun has a course to run from one circuit of heaven to the other end. That is not describing the sunrise and sunset. That was earlier in verse 2. What is he talking about? The sun is running and it has a circuit. It's talking about the sun moving through the universe from one end to the other in an orbit. The ancient world would not have any understanding of this. 
The ancient world believed the sun stood still and the earth moved around it. We know now that the sun is always moving. And get this, it's moving at a half a million miles an hour. Half a million miles an hour. And moving around the orbit, around the Milky Way, which by the way, it has 100 billion stars in the system. You're going half a million mile an hour through objects and stars. There's 100 billion of them. How do you not crash? With this speed, it would take 230 million human years to complete its orbit. And it's dragging the solar system with it at the same speed. You are in this ride at high speed. Can you fathom the vastness of our gallery and galaxy? Do you understand the greatness and power of our God? No wonder Paul says in Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Men have no excuse for denying God's existence. But we would be missing a great deal if we passed the opportunity to see the language and the description that it's used here. This is the second view of these verses. Tent, chamber, tabernacle, bridegroom, strong man, running, joy. These are words and descriptions used in the scripture describing our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, it is not a stretch to think that the psalmist has the greater David in his mind. The son, S-O-N, not S-U-N, Jesus Christ, the priest, the king, leaves his tabernacle, his chamber. Making his way to earth seeking to rescue his bride from captivity of sin. His bride that the Father gave him, giving light and throwing the hearts of stone of those who are his. And he completes his journey. It is at best at Hebrews 12, verse 2. Speaking of Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm reminded of the hymn song that says this. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down,
beneath God's righteous throne, Christ set aside his crown for my soul. We will go from God's revealing himself in creation to God revealing himself in scripture. Point number two, God's speech. Verses seven through nine. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord is true and righteous altogether. Notice David mentions the Lord six times. And the capitalized Lord points to the covenant God, Yahweh. David gives us six synonyms for the word with six descriptions and six benefits of them. Law is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony is sure, making wise, and so on. In three verses, God captures the full sufficiency of Scripture. Law and Gospel. Bear in mind that the law mentioned above in verse 7, though translated as Torah, yet it encompasses the whole of the Scripture. We will not cover the synonyms individually, but rather comprehensively, because all of the words of the Lord are beneficial. The revelation of God's word is clearer than the revelation in nature. It is also greater because of the comprehensive nature of the revelation seen in the synonyms. Here are some of the benefits of the scripture. God's word, word revives, it gives life, it restores, it wakes up the person, and it gives life to the spiritually dead. It heals, it cleanses, and it assures salvation. God's word is the source of wisdom to the person who is willing to receive it, both the simple and the wise. It says in Psalm 119, verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. What is God's testimonies? Those are the historical archives of God's work, works and faithfulness. You meditate in them and you will gain wisdom and understanding. God's word gives joy, inner peace for those who love God with all their hearts, all their minds, all their strengths. God's word enlightens, it gives light to your eyes. God's word is trustworthy in the sense that his rules are righteous and verifiable. God's word is right and clean in the sense that it is not crooked and it is not pure and it's not and it is pure. The scriptures therefore produces God's given joy, wisdom, and contentment in the lives of those who walk in them. Verse 10, David writes, 
in that believers should desire the word of God more than the greatest riches and the material things of this world. David loves God and his word more than fine gold and sweeter things and comforts of this life. His love to God is with all of his heart, soul, and strength. Setting priorities is very important because life in general and the world in particular will keep distracting us from God. Scripture speaks about money and investing, but not at the expense of having priority over knowing God and his word. He says in verse 11 that by the word of God we are warned. It gives us the wisdom to set our priorities, to understand and see the dangers we are about to fall in. And by keeping them, we are rewarded with joy in God, peace with God, and wisdom. Point number three, man's speech, verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. David reflects on himself in relation to God and his revelation in creation and his word. He sees man's sinfulness and limitations. This psalmist asks question in verse 12, and that it has the answer right in it. Who can discern his errors, his sins? The answer is no one. Who can get to the bottom of his own sinning? Who can fathom the tangled web of self-deceit? We sin every day and multiple times in the day. The sins that we commit and are aware of, we confess and repent. But there are sins that we just don't see it as sin. We are blind to the sinfulness of the things we do. And at times, it could be from immaturity. We sin randomly and in the process hurt dear brothers and sisters in Christ and do a great damage to them and the ministry. And we walk away without remorse into what we have just done. These are what the psalmist has in mind when he says, declare me innocent from hidden sins. It is not hidden from God, but that we are unaware that we have sinned for various reasons. David goes further in his confession and pleads to the Lord to keep him from presumptuous sins. This is the most dangerous sin in the Old Testament law and has no recourse and no offering. This sin is saying, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it anyway. Sinning with eyes open, downright rebellion, defiance, forethought, intentional, arrogant, in your face, God. Numbers 15, verses 30 and 31 says, but the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native born or a stranger, 
that one, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised, despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. This sin, it's assuming on God's mercy and grace. Presumptuous sin supersizes sin. You are presuming on God's goodness and turn grace into license to sin. The casualties are many in the Bible. Here are a few. Manipulating the outcome, like Hagar given to Abraham. Rebekah deceiving Isaac to fulfill Jacob's destiny. Nadab and Abihu assumed God would accept their incorrect measure incense. Yuzah assumed God wouldn't mind if he kept the ark from falling. In Luke 12, 47, the servant who knew his master's will but did not prepare. James 4, 13, Jewish businessmen assumed God would extend their lives another year to make money. We have either fallen in this sin or we will at some point in our life. But I want you to see David's request from the Lord. David prays that he would not be dominated by this sin. As he realizes that when fallen in this sin, God has provided a rescue through the greater David, Jesus Christ. However, we will suffer the consequences as we saw in the examples I gave. David's prayer is that God will keep him from the sin and its dominance. He assuredly realizes that he is not the Redeemer and cries out to the greater David and the only Redeemer that is to come. And David closes this poem, this song, this psalm with familiar benediction. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my Redeemer. One last comment and I will close with this. Over 2,000 years ago, God spoke in writing. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few verses later, in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God spoke again, verbally this time, at Jesus' baptism, saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yet we, in our sin, dishonored him and killed him on the cross. And the creation responded with disgust and anger, Covering the sun, the source of God's blessing on earth with darkness. And Matthew writes, the earth shook and there were earthquakes. The creation could have done more damage. 
but they were held back by the voice from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So God spoke. Creation spoke. It's your turn. What say you? What's your response? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come and be cleansed. I pray that you would pour out your word on us, in us, through us, in such a way where the cleansing will never stop. Thank you for your generosity, your love, your love, your gentleness in reaching out to lost souls like us. Thank you for leaving heaven and coming and claiming us to be your bride. Bless us, lead us, guide us, Lord, that our walk would be one that would honor you. Thank you, Lord, for leading us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name.